At this point, let's take out our Bibles together. I'll ask you today, if you will, go with me to the New Testament book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5 today. Ephesians 5. We said this last week. I want to say it again. We're going to get back to our chapter by chapter and verse by verse trek through the book of Mark. Uh, But that's going to come here in a couple weeks. And for now, we're going to cover some topical sermons. Uh, Ephesians 5, starting in verse 18 here in just a moment. Now, if I were to give you a pop quiz with one question, what do you think is the most frequent command in the Bible? What is the most frequently repeated command in the Bible? What would you say it is? Do you think it's to love one another? No, that is not the most frequent commandment in the Bible. To love and honor God? No. To pray? To read the Bible? To be holy? No, not even those are the most frequently repeated command in the Bible. The most frequently command, the most frequently repeated command in the entire Bible is to sing. To sing. It is the most frequent command in Scripture. Keith Getty, who wrote a number of songs that we sing here at the church, like In Christ Alone or The Power of the Cross, he, he's done the research, he, he's written a book on singing, and he notes that the Bible mentions singing to the Lord over 400 times, and at least, maybe more because of grammar and things like that, but at least 50 of those are commands. The Bible mentions singing to the Lord over 400 times, at least 50 of them are commands for us to do so. As we like to say in our Sunday school class, anytime God repeats himself, you know that whatever he is saying is important to him. He values it. Right? When God repeats himself in the Bible, we need to perk up and ask ourselves, okay, what, what is this? Because clearly this is important to the Lord and he thinks it needs to be important to us. And so if he has repeated himself this many times on this particular issue, What does that tell you about the value that God places on us singing praise to him? In 2019, toward the end of the year, right before COVID hit, I was blessed to be able to go to an extended weekend workshop for ministers uh, at a Baptist church in Washington, D.C., Uh, And there was a bunch of us ministers down there for, it it was an extended weekend. We were learning all kinds of things about ministry. It was wonderful in so many ways. There's a lot to learn. But the best part was attending that church's morning and evening services on Sunday. Morning and evening. That church was a lot like ours in many ways. Um, They they were kind of traditional in their style. They they had uh, their instrumentation in worship was very much like ours. They had a piano and a guitar and some vocalists, and that was it, leading the congregation in singing. They were a little bit different than us in some ways, too. Attendance that morning was 900-something. Attendance, get this, get this. Attendance in the Sunday evening service was 800-something. And it was like ours. It was a a different service. It wasn't another service for different people. It was a different service for the same crowd. There was almost 90% of the people came back Sunday evening for service. And in the the a.m. service alone, in the a.m. morning service alone, we sang nine songs, all verses of every song. We stood for every single one of them. But what struck me more than anything else was how loud and passionate every single person in that worship service was singing. They were singing with all their hearts, all 900-something of them. 
They were singing as if they were in the very throne room of God. We felt like we were in the very throne room of God as they were singing. It was perhaps the most wonderful and edifying worship experience I've ever been a part of. And as we talked to the staff and the volunteers afterward, all of us visiting ministers, we were like, we couldn't believe it. We thought it was amazing. As we talked to them, they would say to us, they would say, this is the way it is every Sunday. Every single Sunday. It was such a blessing to my soul. Brothers and sisters, today we're going to look at singing from the Bible. The importance of us singing to the Lord. Now, I long for you to experience what I experienced there. I long for us to be a church full of people who sing their hearts out every Sunday to the Lord. But if we're honest, there's, there's more to it than just a preacher getting up and saying, you should. And so we're going to look at the text today. And I think God's word is going to help us out greatly here. Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 18. We're going to read verses 18 through 20. My focus is going to be in on on verse 19, but verse 19 starts in the middle of a sentence, so I wanted to get us the context here. So we're going to start in verse 18, go through verse 20. Paul writes, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, I hope you see from this passage and I hope you have seen from elsewhere in the Bible that God commands us to sing. God commands us to sing to him. Singing with the congregation is actually a matter of obedience to the Lord. I cannot tell you how many people I see in all kinds of churches, in all kinds of churches, who stand or sit with their mouths closed while the congregation sings. My friends, God has commanded you to sing. Now, If you're joining us today and you're not yet a believer, this doesn't really apply to you yet. It honestly doesn't apply to you yet. God does command you to honor him, and I hope you come to know him and to honor him as Lord, to honor Jesus Christ as Lord and be saved. But for those of us who are believers, for those of us who call ourselves Christians, God has commanded you to sing to him. It does not say in God's word, let all those with a beautiful voice sing. No, it says, let all God's people sing. We, when I was growing up, we we grew up in an an acapella church of Christ. No instruments, only singing every Sunday. And we, we used to sit right over here in that area. We had a sanctuary much like this one. And as kids, we used to get embarrassed at how loud my dad would sing. And there's, there's no instruments, okay? So everybody can hear you. But he would sing with, with all he had. And yeah, we were embarrassed when we were kids. As we got older, it started to be a wonderful witness to us at how thankful we were to have a father who sang with all his heart. And, and it didn't matter if people heard. It didn't matter if anybody was embarrassed. He was singing to the Lord from his heart. I think some of the most God-honoring sounds in churches every Sunday are those who can hardly hold a tune 
but who boldly sing out because they love God. We, we, are, we are not here to tell you, you have a beautiful voice. Not everybody has a beautiful voice, right? I mean, you've watched American Idol, right? You've got to be, we're honest with people sometimes. Not everybody does have a beautiful voice. Sometimes we, we've got someone who can sing like a solo in the choir, and then there are others where you might not get picked for the solo. Okay? But everybody can sing, and everybody is commanded to sing. It doesn't matter if our voices are good or not. That's not the point. One of the, the reasons that some people don't sing is they are self-conscious about their, their voice. And I understand that. They, they feel self-conscious about their voice. Some people are, are simply self-conscious, not so much about the quality of their voice, but about singing out loud in, in a group of people. What are the people around me going to think if they hear my voice? I'll, I'm here to tell you, if I'm in like a group of people talking and somebody says, Hey, John, how does the, the tune of that song go? My first instinct is, I don't want to sing it in front of all you guys. This is awkward, right? I don't want to sing in front of everybody. But my friend, ask yourself this. Are you going to let the quality of your voice or feeling awkward about singing in public, are you going to let that keep you from singing to the Lord who saved you from your sins? Are you going to let that keep you from singing to the one who died for you on the cross? Are you going to let that keep you from singing to the one who forgave you when you did not deserve it? Are you going to let those things keep you from singing to the one who has given you peace and joy and hope and love in your heart? Or, let me put it a little bit more direct, when God commands you to sing some 50 times in his word, are you willing to look right back at him and say, no, I refuse. God has commanded us to sing. Now, I want you to notice from our text today, verse 19 in particular, how we are to sing to God, but Paul also talks about how we are to sing to one another. We are to sing to the Lord but also to one another. It says that we sing to God, we make melody to the Lord with our hearts. That's what verse 19 says. We are to be making melody to the Lord with our hearts. Yes, we sing to God, but notice also, it says we are to be addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Addressing one another. Did you know that when we come together to sing as a church, we are not just singing to God, we are singing to one another, and that is very biblical. When, when we are singing to God, that's not all that's going on. We are also singing truth to one another. These truths of God and of his word that we sing, we're singing them to one another. There, there is a trend in churches today that during the song portion of the, the service, you turn off the lights, except, of course, the, the lights up on the stage where the, the band is, and as a worshiper, what that's doing and what they're trying to get is for you to, to close your eyes and to forget about those around you. And it's just about an audience of, of one. It's just about you and God. All that matters is what's happening between you and God in, in that moment. Now, in one sense, in one sense, it's important for us to sing no matter what anyone around us thinks, right? If, if people around me think that I don't have a good voice, I'm going to sing to the Lord anyway because he deserves my obedience and he deserves my praise. So in one sense, it's, it's true that, that we need to, to be challenged to sing out every Sunday for the Lord. And it's all about him. But 
When we sing, we are not to forget about those around us. That is not what Paul is saying here. That's not what the Lord wants. Singing is a corporate event. The the focus in the New Testament is never on an individual singing. It's always congregational. It's always us singing together every time singing is mentioned in the New Testament. Listen to this Old Testament reference from Psalm 34, verse 3. David writes, O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. In Hebrews 10, we are told not to give up meeting together, but we are to encourage one another. Part of the reason for what we're doing right now, and what we do every Sunday by by getting together as a church, part of the reason we do this is to encourage one another. What we're doing right now is we are helping one another hold on to Jesus. And so when you see your brother or sister singing to the Lord, it reminds you that you're not alone in this. Not alone in this. Some churches will intentionally build their sanctuaries in a semicircle. Why? Because they want the people to be seeing one another as they worship. Right? It enhances congregational singing. There's a, there's a strength and an encouragement in coming together to sing. Yes, brothers and sisters, you could stay home and sing by yourself. You could sing in the car. You could sing worship songs anywhere you want alone. But that is not the church. That is not the church. The church is the body of Christ. You don't do church at home. We, here at Columbia Christian, we have shut-ins and those who cannot gather with us. They wish they could, and they cannot gather with us. And we do our best to minister to them, and we want them to feel like they are a part of this church. We broadcast our services. And so, like, to to those who might be listening to this sermon, not with us right now, but are, are part of this church family, we love you and we care about you. We take communion to them as we are able, and we try to include them as much as we can because they wish they could gather with us. But friends, it was never the Lord's intention for someone to be able to gather with the church, but to refuse to do so. To say, I'm going to go do church alone. That was never the intention. That, that sentence, that sentence doesn't even make sense when we consider what the church is. You don't do church. We are the church. The church is a group of people. We do this together. And so there is strength and encouragement in coming together to sing. Now notice also in verse 19 how Paul tells us we are to be singing a variety of songs, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now we know what psalms are, psalms, the psalms from the Old Testament, but Paul doesn't tell us the, the specific difference between hymns and spiritual songs. Some people will say, well, hymns are the old ones and spiritual songs are the contemporary ones. Well, I don't know if that's what Paul meant. There's really no evidence for that here. But it is not going too far to say that Paul is encouraging us to sing a variety of songs. So as we come together, we sing a variety of songs. What do we mean by a variety? Well, we're going to sing new songs as well as old songs, right? New as well as old. We're going to sing upbeat songs as well as slow songs, We're going to sing songs expressing a wide range of emotions, right? Some songs are going to be upbeat and happy and joyful. Some songs are going to be more somber in their tone and emotion. We sing deep songs as well as simple songs. 
We sing complex songs as well as repetitive songs. We sing a variety. I have a friend named Kevin who once wrote a paper titled Women's Roles in the Church. And the subtitle was An Exercise in Making Absolutely No One Happy. I think that was very appropriate. He, he knew, he knew. But can I be honest? Sometimes that's exactly how it feels when Dwayne and I get together to pick songs for the congregation to sing. That's exactly how it feels sometimes. This is an exercise in making absolutely no one happy. Because no one is going to be 100% happy with all of the songs that we sing in church. But that's okay. That's okay. In fact, there's even a joy in that. There's a joy that I get from that. An odd joy. Because the wonderful thing about a church is that it's made up of all kinds of different people. The wonderful thing about a church is it's made up of all kinds of different people with different backgrounds and different tastes, different ages, different genders, all kinds of differences. And you see, the church does not exist to meet our preferences. This is a lesson every one of us needs to hear. Every single one of us, myself included. The church does not exist to meet your preferences. We will not offer one type of service for people with one preference and then another type of worship service for people with another preference. You will not see us offering a contemporary worship service for these people and a traditional worship service for these people. No, we worship together with our differences. That's part of the beauty, the God-intended beauty of a church where we we come together and we all sacrifice our preferences for the good of the whole. And so, not every song we sing is going to be your favorite. But not every song we sing is my favorite. Dwayne and I work hard to make sure that not every song we sing is our favorites, right? We don't just pick our favorites. We we want to have a variety here. But as, as long as the song is biblical and singable, As long as the song is biblical and singable, I can rejoice when we sing a song that's not necessarily my favorite, if it's helping others to worship God. Now, I want to do a a, a short exercise with you here. Let's say that you are the kind of person who loves all the old songs, and you get frustrated with the newer ones. You don't like them, and when we sing a newer song, you don't want to sing it. Just just being honest, right? I'm frustrated with this song, and because I don't like this song, I don't want to sing it. Maybe it's not that I don't want to sing at all. I just don't want to sing that song. New songs, right? Get frustrated with them. They're, They're too repetitive. They're shallow. They're hard to sing because the artist wasn't thinking about a congregation. They were just writing it for the radio and their their own professional voice, right? Well, consider this song, only a few years old now written by one of those very contemporary groups. But listen to the lyrics. Man of sorrows, lamb of God, by his own betrayed. The sin of man and wrath of God has been on Jesus laid. Oh, that rugged cross, my salvation, where your love poured out over me. Now my soul cries out, hallelujah, praise and honor unto thee. That's a brand new song, and that's as deep as it gets. That's as biblical and as rooted in truth as it gets. Now, let's say, on the other hand, you're not that kind of person at all. You're, you're the person who wants us to sing all the new songs. 
Right? Why can't we sing songs that are on the radio, you're saying all the time? Why, why can't we sing songs that are more upbeat? Why can't we have an electric guitar and drums? Well, first of all, a couple things to remember here. A number of songs that you will hear on the radio were not written for congregational singing. And when you try to sing them as a congregation, it doesn't work out very well. Because the, the, the folks who aren't very musical, they're, they're trying to, to figure out what they're supposed to be doing with their voice. Right? Not all of us can go up an octave and then right back down and do it beautifully. Right? Or even comfortably. So some of those songs weren't written for congregational singing. They weren't written with a congregation in mind. Second, understand this. We don't use an electric guitar and drums on purpose. It's not because those things are bad. Y'all know me? I don't think electric guitar is bad. All right? I don't think loud rock music is bad. But when we're here, when we're worshiping, we intentionally want to have less volume coming from the stage so that we can all hear one another sing. The, the main noise, the main volume during the, the, the song portion of a service should be the voices of the people, right? You won't find anywhere in the New Testament anything about using instruments in worship, right? We're never commanded to do that. What we are commanded to do is sing with one another. That's the command. That's what we should highlight. That's what we want. But let's say, okay, you know, having said all that, you're still the person who, I love the new songs and I, I really don't like the old ones. I, I don't like all those old songs. Well, here's another song that is sometimes called Man of Sorrows, but it's often also called Hallelujah, What a Savior, written in the 1840s. Now, 1840s, that's relatively new when you consider the church has been around for 2,000 years, but for people my generation and younger, 1840s is ancient, right? Ancient. And we, you know, sometimes we don't like the ancient stuff. Listen to the words. Man of Sorrows, what a name. For the Son of God who came. Ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a savior. Bearing sin and scoffing rude. In my place, condemned he stood. Sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah, what a savior. Lifted up was he to die. It is finished was his cry. Now in heaven exalted high. Hallelujah, what a savior. And when he comes, our glorious king, all his ransomed home to bring, then anew this song we'll sing, hallelujah, what a savior. That song's got it all, and it's old, right? There, there, are, there are good and bad old songs. There are good and bad new songs. But we're going to sing a variety, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And think about this also, especially young people. When we sing the old songs that have stood the test of time, we sing a song that has been sung by, by thousands and thousands and thousands of believers across the centuries of those who came before us. And it reminds us that Christianity is not just about us and our generation, right? We are part of a long line of believers. Many of those believers who have come before us have worked so hard and some given their lives so that we could do what we're doing here today. And we need to remember that. May we never believe the lie that just because something is new, it means it's better. Or just because we have more technology and advanced knowledge of certain things today, it means we're wiser than the saints of the past. In many ways, we are not. And so we're to sing a variety of songs. And when we sing a song that's not your favorite, I'm challenging you to sing out anyway. When we sing a song that's not your favorite, I'm challenging you to deny yourself. And to sing out anyway, because it very well might be the favorite of that person who's sitting in the pew in front of you. 
We are a church family. We are not here to have our preferences met. Indeed, we come together to sacrifice our preferences for the good of the whole. Years ago, a man named Russell Moore wrote a wonderful article on the worship wars. Remember back in like the the 90s, there was this idea that churches are going through the worship wars. The generation that's coming up, they they want everything contemporary. And the generation that's gone before them, they want to hold on to everything that's that's old and tried and true. And they're they're having worship wars against one another. They're arguing all this time. Well, Russell Moore starts writing and says, we don't need less worship wars. We need more. Everybody's like, what? What are you talking about? And his idea was this. What if, what if the old people in our churches today were, were saying, we need to sing more songs that those kids enjoy? And then what if the young people in our churches were saying, we need to sing more songs that the old people enjoy? What if we were arguing for one another? What if we were swallowing our own pride and caring more about the people who were not sharing our preferences than we care about ourselves? This is, this is part of the radical gospel witness of the church gathering together. Did you know what we are doing right now, the Bible describes as a radical witness to the good news of the gospel to the rest of the world? What we're doing, just sitting in here, just being here together, we are being a radical witness to the world for the gospel. How? Because God, it says this in the Bible, God meant for non-Christians to come into a church gathering, And witness something that on the surface doesn't make sense. All kinds of different groups of people that shouldn't naturally get get along. Loving one another. And sacrificing for one another. And having deep fellowship with one another. Old people and young people. Both sacrificing their own preferences for the good of the other. People from different races and economic backgrounds. Democrats and Republicans. And the world comes in and, and, and observes and says... What in the world is this? Like, I've never seen this. This doesn't happen anywhere out in the world. What is going on here? That's what God wants for our church family. He wants us to come together even with our differences. Our differences are part of what makes it beautiful because we we love one another and we sacrifice for one another. Finally, in verse 19, Paul tells us we are to be singing from our hearts. Making melody to the Lord with your hearts. Brothers and sisters, singing is not just about the noise that's coming out of your mouth. That noise is supposed to be an overflow of what's in your heart. Why why do we sing? Why do we even do this? Why? Ultimately, it's because of who God is and what he has done for us. Why do we sing? It's because of who God is and what he has done for us. Singing is the overflow of a grateful and joyful heart. When we are singing, we are worshiping. You can sing with your mouth, but if your heart and mind are not engaged, you're not worshiping. Worship comes from our inner being. Worship comes from our inner being, and worshiping means we're praising God for who he is and what he has done. And this is why... This is why singing must be based on the truth of the Bible. What we sing must be based on the truth of the Bible. It's because of what singing is. Singing is responding in your heart to what you have come to know. Singing is responding in your heart to what you have come to know. It's almost as if it's the proper consummation of it. 
Do you know how, how when you experience something joyful in life, you, you have a, a, an amazing thing happen to you or your family, the, 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 the real consummation of that joy is telling someone, telling someone about it, sharing that joy with someone else. You, you kind of have to, right? Singing is like that for the joy that we have in our hearts of what we have come to know of God in his word. And so when we read in the Bible that God is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, that makes us want to sing. And when we read in the Bible that God made the universe by the word of his mouth and he sustains it every second by his power and by his wisdom, it makes us want to sing. And when we read in the Bible that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, Jesus Christ, it makes us want to sing. And when we read in the Bible that God poured out his own wrath on his own son on the cross for our sins so that we could be reconciled to him, it makes us want to sing. And when we read that when Jesus died three days later, he rose from the dead. And right now he sits at the right hand of the Father, alive, interceding for us. It makes us want to sing. And when we read that he is coming back one day, and when we read in the Bible of heaven and what awaits those who put their trust in Christ and follow him, it makes us want to sing, brothers and sisters. We sing out of the overflow of what is in our hearts that comes from the truth in God's word. And that's why it matters greatly that we pick songs that are biblical so that we can sing them unreservedly, letting out the joy in our hearts from what we have come to know. And so here's what I want to do with you. Each week here at Columbia Christian, we, we have this response time after the sermon, and it's, it's prayer. We spend a few moments in silent prayer so each person can respond individually, but that's not what I want to do today. Oh my goodness, we're doing something different. It's not what I want to do today. There, we're, we're going to have a response time, but it's not going to be prayer. It's going to be singing. It's going to be singing. So what I've done is, Dwayne, will you, will you come back to the piano for us? What we're going to do is we're going to respond to the Lord by singing. We're going to sing verses 1 and 4 of a hymn that we've already sung today, On Christ the Solid Rock. Dwayne, if you could play it just a little bit slower for us this time so we can really belt it out and think of the words that we are going to sing. But that's how we're going to respond today. Not in prayer, but in singing. And so right now, I'm asking, if you will, to stand with me. We're going to have these words up on the screens behind me. Verses 1 and 4 of On Christ the Solid Rock. I'm, I'm going to help lead us. Dwayne's going to lead us from the piano. Let's sing to the Lord and let's let out what is in our hearts that we have come to know of the greatness and the goodness and the mercy and the glory of God.